perhaps you have, and I know some of you here have lived in Washington, D.C., and you have visited the Declaration of Independence. You've actually seen that document. Anybody do that? Yeah? Yeah? So, well, I think I did. <laughs> My wife and I were talking about because the next thing I was going to say is maybe you've been to Philadelphia and been by... The Liberty Bell, but that also, that's where they signed it too, right? Yeah, and, and I think we visited both that and is it called Independence Hall? Yeah, and she said, if we did, it was one of your typical tours. There it is, there it is, let's go. And that's the way we did many of our tours in our lives. But our country, today we celebrate 245 years of independence and uh, freedoms. And those words contained on that uh, Declaration of Independence um, would pave the way for the world in which we live in today. And looking back, I wonder if the authors would be surprised of the culture, the community, and the country that we live in in 2021. Likewise, here's another document that's been written and prepared even longer than 245 years ago. And I wonder if the writers and the origin of this would be equally amazed at how we are in 2021. Well, <clears throat> most of you think there is no meaning to my madness, but if you have been coming for at least the past year, I'm going to look backwards with you for just a few minutes and show you uh, behind the curtain, if you will, of the Wizard of Oz. Not that I am any wizard by any means, but uh, at least you'll see what I've been trying to do. Because last week, and let's go to this next slide. Last week, we concluded a, what turned into four-month study on the book of James, written by Jesus' half-brother, talking about a faith that works and dealing with that testing that this book gives you that... And, and I, I'm reaching out here because my mom was not a big baker for making bread. I mean, pies and cakes, all that kind of stuff. But she wasn't really a homemade, homemade bread maker. But what little I know, you, you used to get yeast in these little bitty packages. And I think they were like red and yellow. I, I don't even know the name brand, but I remember what they looked like. And, and you put that in, I, I guess you're, you're, I don't know how to make bread. But you put that somehow in the dough and it causes it to rise, Correct. Faith, James says, is like that yeast. It cannot be left alone in the package. If it is, he says, basically, a faith without works is dead. So the faith, the, the yeast of our lives needs to be out spreading and growing and furthering the good news of Jesus Christ. Because a faith that works is alive. Then... And that started February of 2021. Amazing that it took that long to get through that, those five chapters. Because it's, it's funny, it started out slow in my different sermon series. But before James was a harvest of hope coming from 1 Peter, which started in September of last year. And in that book where he talked about the fact that we were born to hope. Once we have understood who Jesus Christ is, we are born to hope in him. And that hope for a Christian, biblical hope, was totally different than the way we use the word in our common day-to-day -day language. For a Christian, a hope is not a wish. It is a confidence in the assurance that we have an inheritance 
waiting for us with Christ Jesus in glory. And it's the idea that you can suffer, you can experience, you can bleed, if you will, because I think one of the titles was even a bloodline of hope. We have this opportunity to hope for him and that we're harvesting together this faith that we follow. And then, so that was harvest of hope. Prior to that was, you know, James. And then let this one play because how can you argue with this song? We started that series that summer, uh, last summer. But for everyone, some of them are going to say, like, I just keep singing more. I'm snoozing now. I started to snore for you, not snort, but it was going to be too loud in the microphone. But we went through 1 Corinthians 13, and if you notice those words that are in that last verse faith, hope, and love. So that's what we have done. We've looked backwards, if you will, from a summer of love to a harvest of hope to a faith that works. Coming on this last verse of 1 Corinthians 13. So today I would like for us to look at these three theological virtues. Those of you who were raised Catholic are probably more in tune with hearing about a theological virtue or perhaps... um, there are other types of virtues mentioned in the, in the Catholic Church that we as Baptists often don't use those words, which there's nothing wrong with them whatsoever. But these three, Paul will tell us, are the greatest. In fact, the context, if you remember 1 Corinthians 13, if you even pick up that last verse, and today I'm actually going to read for you it all again, and it's not a wedding. I know you hear this read in almost every wedding, but it's such a beautiful passage. It's based on an argument that people are having saying, I have a greater spiritual gift than you. You know, I can speak in tongues. I can heal people. I have the gift of prophecy. I can do miracles, etc., etc. And finally, he says, let me show you a more excellent way. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians. And I'll begin with the last verse of chapter 12. Paul writes, but eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men, some translations will say the voice of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith, there you go, that can move mountains but have nothing But have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love is permanent. He'll go on in this last verse and say it last. But wherever there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. 
Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked as a child. When I became a man, oh, he goes on, he says, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as, a mirror, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. But now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It seems to me that very few things these days are made to last. Although, being a car guy that I am, on the news I not watched a few weeks ago, it said that Americans are keeping their cars now longer than they ever have. Perhaps it's because there's a chip shortage and you can't buy a new car right now. In fact, thankfully, I'm in church today. I almost ordered a new Ford yesterday. You know, I'm a Chevy guy, but that new Bronco looks pretty cool. Almost like ordering the Tesla truck, you know, you, you got to put your name on the list. And when I finally clicked through just to see where it would go, it said, you could expect delivery in 2022. I thought, man, this is the United States. We ought to be able to buy them. You know, anyway, so sorry, I digress. <clears throat> but there are many things that are so disposable in our country. It, I think they use the word planned obsolescence. I mean, a light bulb, right? That's something that's made. It's going to have a limited lifespan. Um, there are computers. You know, the day you buy a computer, there's a newer one out the next day. Uh, same way with our phones. How many have got the iPhone 25, 25 or whatever? I mean, I can remember iPhones 3. Is that the first one that was really talked about in numbers? But in any event, we just keep building upon and knowing that there's what you have is going to wear out. I mean, think about 4th of July. Ice cream is, is going to wear out. I mean, you've got to eat it today. You, you've got fireworks. You've got to light them off. But God's word says there are three things that will last. God's word is one of those. But he says, Paul says, for the Lord, as he writes his words, three things will remain. The Greek word meaning last or are or, or there forever. Faith, hope, and love. So at the conclusion of this description of love, he said there are three things that will abide. Let's look at the first one. Faith that lasts. Now obviously you know we talked about a faith that works, but faith is a, the most recent thing that we've talked about in our study of God's word from the book of James. And you will know in this that, and this shouldn't be any surprise to you, that faith is an should be a verb. It doesn't do well as a noun. Faith is active. It's like that yeast. If you don't take it out of the package, it's really not good for anything other than to have in your cabinet. And likewise, sitting in a pew, be careful, Cliff, you'll offend someone. If you don't do something with what you've heard on Sunday or what you've done in a small group or what you've done in your own Bible study, it's just like keeping yourself in that yeast package. You are not causing others to understand the faith and grow and even come to knowledge of who Jesus is. Faith is action. James says if it's not doing, it's dead. Now, this may sound out of kilter for church on Sunday, but faith is an on and off again action. It's not once and always. 
although I do, and please, I'm not talking in theological statements here of the Baptist church by any means, but I'm talking about faith does come, and it goes, and it stops for a while. It goes again, it stops again, it goes again, it stops again. Faith is like going on a journey without a map, with no GPS, not even knowing exactly where you are going, but you're knowing that God is leading you. That is faith in action. James would say that if you don't get off the pew, it's not faith in action. It's back to that yeast in an envelope. German theologian uh, Tillich, Paul Tillich, says that it's no doubt <clears throat> that there is doubt in faith. Because that's an element of faith. It causes more growth to take place. When you have doubted in the faith, it will challenge you to find new answers. It will challenge you to grow in your faith when you can't find the answers to seek others, to pray, to look into God's word. Sadly, many of us claim that we have faith, but we have either given up on the journey or never actually left the pew. I mentioned last week that our nation has declined once again from 20 years ago being two in four people being active Christians to now one in four people are active Christians in our nation. Did their faith stop? Did it fail? Did it expire? Because I guess, does yeast expire if you have that in an envelope? It probably gets old, won't do what it's supposed to do. Wow. Hmm. So play that out in your life. Or maybe they just quit believing. I don't know. Do a little research. I like Mark Twain. I, Chief and I had a big discussion on all the things I haven't read. I, you know, Cliff Notes are really named after me. Because I got a lot of books. I, I know a lot of two sentences. And I even messed up the, this past week the beginning of Moby Dick. Call me... Yeah, I said call me Ichabod. So it's close enough. Yeah. So I, it, was, it was close. It started with similar vowel or something like that. But Mark Twain, I, I, and I've been to his hometown, and you know, I'm from Illinois. It's not too far to go over there, Missouri, and that kind of stuff. But he married a Christian lady who he had to basically misrepresent himself to woo her family to even let him date her. You know, he, he was not a believer, so, but he, he portrayed himself as a one in need and wanting to grow in the faith. Eventually won their hearts, won her heart, married her. And after, I don't know how long in his early part of his marriage, she said that his distortion and lack and misrepresentation of the faith had caused her faith to end. Or at least to fail. But faith lasts. And for whatever reason, some people quit believing my dad used to tell me when I was a child and I went out for different sports, don't ever quit the team that you go out for. If they cut you, that's one thing. And I did get cut from the basketball team in fifth grade. Too short, too fat. But I remember my eighth grade coach said, maybe football will be in your future. You can be the ball. But he said, if you, yeah, some of you, if you, if you quit something now, son, you will always become a quitter. Now, granted, there are some things in our lives we do need to quit. There are some vices. There are some sins. There are some areas of your life that you should quit. But faith is something that you cannot quit on. 
You may stop on that journey. You may think, oh, the GPS hasn't told me where to go, but I'm ready to keep going. God, just point me in the right direction. And I wonder as we look across America, and I know our numbers were down since COVID. I talked about that last week. Do empty churches mean that those who had faith have quit? Or perhaps has the church quit on those who used to be in the pew? I stumbled across a Christian Christianity Today article from 2015. The young man in Washington, D.C., he was frustrated with his life. He had tried to do about everything. I'm looking at my son. He tried to about do everything in creative arts and design. He tried a number of things. Painting, uh, computer graphics, all this kind of stuff. And he kept failing and failing and failing. So he decided to put out I don't know if it was a Facebook post, some kind of social media post to say, gathering tomorrow, the national, because they're in D.C., the National Quitters Society. We will help one another extinguish the flames of our hearts that have caused us so much distress because we never were able to accomplish what we thought we were called to do. And he says, very candidly, I thought maybe one or two would show up. Forty-five people showed up the next day to include a lady who said she always wanted to be a dancer and she was ready for somebody to help her extinguish that dream. Another guy who had moved to Washington, D.C., who wanted to be a part of the political system and was looking for the right job, looking for the right thing to do, and he said, I just need the freedom to leave D.C., and then another person was another artist type, wanted to be a writer. And her day job was keeping her from doing her writing. And she said, I've got to let that go. He said, two and a half hours after their discussions of talking about all the things that they needed to quit, it became, became an inspiration society. They inspired the woman who wanted to be an actress and dancer to not quit and give it one more year. To the one who wanted to be a writer, say, keep your day job and keep writing and give it one more year. To the man who wanted to move from D.C. because he thought he could never get in, give it one more year. And he said, we now meet monthly as a quitter society, but basically we inspire people not to quit, but to never, not, not to truly quit, but to keep doing what they wanted to do and what they have a burning in their hearts to do. So a faith that lasts is what we need to be encouraging one another to have. So if you look out and you see the pew that typically it used to be Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so or that family that had a bunch of kids, you need to reach out and call them and make contact with them this week. Don't let them quit because you quit on them. Keep the faith. Paul writes to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith faith that lasts second hope that lasts from our harvest of hope those of you who remember those sermons and i know you know most most people can't remember what i preached on last week sometimes i can't remember what i preached on last week but the harvest of hope was fun for me because i began usually with some sort of vegetable some sort of fruit and some sort of festival that i'd heard of like where i grew up with apples there was always the apple festival you know murfreesboro has a big apple festival parade cobden my the little town near my home is known their mascot they're the apple knockers i mean knocking them out of the trees so apples are very popular where i'm from and i used about every agricultural illustration i could think of but one i didn't tell you only because 
I don't really know all the science behind it, and I tried to research it this week, but I, I really couldn't find it uh, to know the exact, uh, and I know, Melinda, you know something about growing stuff, so maybe you can find the scientific part of this, but where, I, where I'm from, Illinois, growing apples really doesn't make sense, you know, because it gets so cold, and often the freeze happens before, you know, even, even while the blooms are starting to come up, and you've got a weird snow or a weird frost, and it kills the crop, and there's nothing that year. But if everything goes right the next year, it is the bumper crop. It's like everything was inside dying to get out and the frost killed it. But when the next year comes and the water's right and the sun's right and the frost doesn't come, the trees are starting to break because there's so much inside that needs to come out. And likewise, in our Christian lives, there are times that our hope probably feels like it's been frozen. Maybe it feels like it's died a little bit. But if you will just stay the course, if you will just keep the faith, a hope that lasts, that survives a divorce, that survives cancer, that survives days when you can't make payments, that survives all the painful things that this world can bring, you might just find out with that stored up energy of hope that our hope will bloom just like that apple tree with splendor and with joy. It's kind of like kudzu. You ever been like in Alabama? They have that in Mississippi too, don't they? It takes over everything. Now, I've got something that's growing. Another one, Melinda, we'll have to talk about this. In, in my backyard, and <clears throat> I know I'm getting pretty earthy here, we have an aerobic septic system. So it sprays water out that supposedly the dog could lick from. And ours just might because he's a little strange. But whatever it sprays, it causes this viney stuff to grow like nobody's business. It takes over the grass. It'll take over the trees. It grows up on the cedar trees. It grows up on the oak. And this viney stuff just wants to consume and suck the life out of everything else. And I know this is probably a, a hard reach for you to make, but if you have hope and this confidence, this assurance that there is a life after this life and that through faith in Jesus Christ, you will receive that inheritance that you've been promised, you can have that, I don't know if you want to call it a kudzu heart, you can have a heart that will snuff out the bad things in your life and that that hope and that joy because of that knowledge will grow and thrive when it seems like nothing else can. Another thing I've read this week, and that's what you get often, is what I've read and what I've tried to share that was new to me. Um, Harvard uh, School of Sociology, they have a uh, department that talks about uh, just human interaction. And those of you who don't know, I actually took one class at Harvard in 1995, got a B plus. I wanted to say so bad I got an A at Harvard, didn't get an A. Hmm, there's a sermon for another day when you don't make an A. But in this study, they researched Bible reading and church attendance during COVID. And they found that those who read their Bible, this is Harvard, which is like, to me, the, the birthplace of liberalism. I mean, it was interesting going to school there as a Baptist. But... Um, such a deep school of thinkers, they still are smart enough to let's research with this. And, and they said those people who read their Bible more frequently during the COVID season still had the happiness and this, the, this whole life that of this is going to get better. They had hope that came through the words that they read 
in God's holy word. And then they tagged onto that church attendance was an essential part of that happiness and general well-being. There's something to be said about being in the presence of other believers. Those who can encourage you when you feel like your faith has quit. Those who can inspire you when you feel like your hope is flickering. Faith that lasts, hope that lasts, and finally, a love that lasts. Well, no one wanted summers to last more than me when I was in middle school and grade school. Summers seemed to, you know, go on, but then when school started, you know, who wanted to do that? And, and I really liked the Summer of Love sermon series. I'm not going to go back and do that. I did wear a lot of tie-dyed shirts, and this was the only red, white, and blue shirt, I think. This is one that didn't sell. Dan, what? Did I buy this one? You know, I had all these weird shirts that I was wearing during the Summer of Love, but, and it was kind of fun. I saw some of them come out during VBS, but uh, why is love the greatest of these? He says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Well, I would say because God is love. Turn with me your Bibles to 1 John. It's always dangerous when you don't have it marked. What if you couldn't find 1 John? I, could, <laughs> I can. 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Say it with me. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent us one and his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Love that lasts. Most of you have heard me use an illustration from Frederick Buechner before. It's spelled Buechner, but it's proper pronunciation, so I'm told. I've never met him. Uh, it's Buechner. He says this about love, and I think it's worth quoting. The love for equals is a human thing. The love for equals is a human thing. That of a friend for a friend, a brother for a brother. It is to love what, love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles for a love for a human thing. Second, the love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely... That is compassion, and it touches the heart of the world. So the first type, that love for equals, makes the world small, smile. The second type, for the less fortunate, touches the heart of the world. The third kind, he says, the love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. In other words, those who love those who succeed when we have failed, to rejoice without envy with those who rejoice, to love the love of the poor for the rich, 
or of the, of the black man for the white man. The world is always bewildered by its saints. That's the love for the more fortunate. And then he says there is a love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured, the torturer, the tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love, for it conquers the world. God's love lasts. The follower of Christ's love must last. Now, I stumbled on many things last week looking for faith, hope, and love symbols. That is a very popular tattoo. I mean, I must have had a hundred different images pop up for that cross. Looks like a heartbeat, and then the heart itself for faith, love, faith, hope, and love. But this one popped up that you need to look at. I think I got it in there. There it is. And my, I did take four years of high school French, enough that when I've been to France, they told me to speak English. Carmorge, that is an area of uh, southeast France where uh, the water is coastline, and it's a very wet, uh, marshy area. And in the 1930s, uh, that cross was commissioned by uh, the people of that area because it, it represents both the uh, cowboys, if you will, that are there. You don't think of cowboys in France, but these Carmorge cowboys are called guardians. And Norris, I was talking to you. You told me they used... He said... I think Norris was telling me a fish story this morning. He said where he was a kid, they grew frogs next to him. And it wasn't a pond. They were like commercial frog growers. I said, man, that just, that just sounds like a joke. But uh, that thing on the top, that trident looking like cross, is the type of staff that these guardian cowboys carry there in France on their horses that are able to prod the livestock or to protect if needed to stick and to stab. So they combine that trident cross, and it's also a big fishing area, so that's why it has the anchor on the bottom that reminds us of the anchor of our faith. And then, of course, the heart, which represents the love. So that's the considered this way of, in one symbol of faith, hope, and love. So my challenge as I try to leave this and conclude this this morning is like the guardians pull those French cowboys, let faith poke you and prod you to get up and do something for Christ. Let the fisherman's anchor hold you close to him in tossing seas. And finally, like the heart, let his love flow from your heart. Because as Paul said, these three remain. Let them remain in you. Stand with me, please, we have a time of prayer. Our Father, as we come now to an invitation in our worship service, a time where we can say publicly, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, and Lord, I know that it takes a lot for someone to get up and walk forward and make that statement. But Lord, when they begin that relationship with you, when they ask for forgiveness, when they confess their sins, when they say, I want Christ in my life, what a burden is taken from their shoulders. Lord, there'll be tossing seas, there'll be difficult times, there'll be frosts in our lives, but yet faith, hope, and love will abide because of your love for us. 
So, Lord, if there's someone who's never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, I ask you to speak to them through your Holy Spirit in this moment. Perhaps there's someone who just wants to come to the steps of this platform area and kneel and pray. One of our deacons will step forward and pray with them, or I'll pray with them. Whatever the decision is to be made, I pray that you let your spirit move freely in our midst right now. For I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.